praise God. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. How many, how many, here, uh, how many here realize that God is the source of your daily life? That God is the source for every aspect of your life? God showed me in, in prayer a few days ago, and I always share with you if it's in accordance with his will and plan for the sermon on Sunday, um, showed me how while we all realize that God is our source and we all get up in the morning or throughout the day or at night, whatever it is, to connect with God and he's your source, that what the devil is there trying to do every step of the way is to prevent that connection with God. Because he knows that if you get that and you make that connection with God, that you're going to draw from it, that you're going to draw from it. So he wants to prevent you from doing that. And it happens in a very, very sneaky, sneaky way. And so we're going to, to share, I'm going to share that with you today on God as our source and how the devil tries to get in to prevent you from connecting with him. So for starters, you know that God is your source. He's your source of peace and rest. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, you don't have to go there right now, but you know the scripture says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The devil knows that if, if you find Jesus, if you get there, that you will rest. So what the devil wants to do is to prevent you from connecting with Jesus, from getting to Jesus. And he'll do that by sending people your way to block you from getting to Jesus. When maybe you are going to do some prayer time or go to church or whatever, you'll send people your way to prevent it. If you notice open house showings, when are they? They're always on a Sunday. Uh, Little League and things like that are on Sundays. And it, all of that is, is really done so that, and people don't realize it, but these things pop up that will prevent people from pursuing, uh, pursuing God on a, on a given and Sunday, I mean, they don't realize how these things just pop up. Unconfessed sin can also be a uh, can be a blockage in your life. Unconfessed sin, and we all slip and stumble at times. And God gave us a provision in one John one nine that says that if we confess our sins, that God that God is faithful to forgive. But the way the devil throws that boulder into your life, unconfessed sin, is that with that unconfessed sin, you wind up carrying that thought around in your mind. And then that winds up uh, uh, coming up as guilt in your life. And then that guilt that you're carrying, that sin, especially if you're a Christian, you're a child of God, and you slipped and you did something wrong, you don't confess it to the Lord and ask to be, to be uh, forgiven. Um, that, and of course, with, with 1 John 1, 9, then you carry that sin around. And what the devil does, he plays on that. It makes you feel guilty. And then you become feeling so guilty that guess what? You wind up feeling that you are not worthy to go before God. You start feeling like, oh gosh, I die, I can't face God because I sin. So again, the devil uses that to block you from getting to God, getting to your source. The devil will send circumstances along such as, as fatigue, being sleepy or too tired, work, school, uh, other, other activities in your life that prevent you from going unto Jesus. That prevent you from going to spend some time with, with God to get your recharge. If you just think of it like day to day, we need to touch God in order to recharge our batteries. We need to recharge our batteries. Even Jesus went off to pray. You see that in Scripture many times. So you can't forget that. The devil will put, will put quote-unquote, opportunities there to prevent it. But this is just the beginning of it because it goes much, much deeper. It goes much, much deeper, and that's what I want to share with you today. If you really, really, really want to get to, under, to an understanding of what's going on in your life, if you really want to get to an understanding of what's going on in your life, then you, you need to really come to understand 
why things happen and what's going on to make things happen in your life, if you really want to get to understand it. You'll want to get a deeper understanding of the forces that are at work in your life. You want to get an understanding of the forces that are in your life and what you can do to be aware of those forces and prevent those forces from quietly and sneakily operating in your life. And I I emphasize quietly and sneakily operating in your life because these forces are most effective when you don't realize that they're at work in your life. And many times we do not stop and think, why am I feeling this way? Why are things going on like this in my life? Why am I not achieving this? Why is this not happening? And you don't stop to think that what the devil is doing is, is very, very methodically keeping you from connecting with God keeping you from connecting with God. These forces are most effective when you don't realize that they're at work. In addition to a source of rest, as we just briefly discussed, Jesus is your source for spiritual water. We all need water. Most people today carry water bottles. Now, I look around and I see people have water bottles on the floor and in your car and so forth. Most people carry water bottles, and you know how it feels when you need water. When you get thirsty, you know how it feels. You know when you're thirsty. You're on a shadow of a doubt. No one has to tell you you're thirsty. You know when you're thirsty. So if water sustains your physical life, then believe it or not, you also need, quote-unquote, spiritual water. You also need spiritual water. Spiritual water sustains your spiritual life. Spiritual water sustains your spiritual life the same way that physical water sustains your physical life. And your spiritual life, if it's not being watered, can wind up impacting your physical life. Because don't forget, everything in the spirit world actually precedes things that are in the natural, simply because of the fact that the spirit realm pre-existed the natural world. The spirit world was there long before whenever it was that God decided to create the physical world. So the spiritual world is a greater reality than the physical world. So if your spiritual world is being impacted and you're spiritually thirsty, then guess what? Your physical life winds up becoming impacted. You see, but the devil keeps that so undercover. Most Christians don't realize that and they don't ever really get a handle on why is it that my life just isn't going the way it is, the way I would like it to be. Why is it that so-and-so and so, so-and-so dreams it seems to be right there at my fingertips but outside of my grasp? What is it that's going on? We need to have that spiritual water. So what is spiritual water? What is it? Well, let's see what the word of God has to say about spiritual water. Let's go to John 7. Everything has to be backed up by the word of God. Otherwise, we don't want to even bother discussing it here. Amen. John 7. What is the spiritual water? John 7. And we're going to go to verse 37. John 7, verse 37. Praise the living God. Praise the living God. Let's wait for a moment. In the name of Jesus, praise the living God. John 7, verse number 37. Praise God. God is good. God is good all the time. We read that in John, in John 37, it starts off, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Underline, any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. 
He that believeth on me, as the scriptures has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the spirit. This spoke he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, Holy Spirit had not been poured out yet because Jesus had not gone back to heaven. But the operative's words there is that he that believeth on me. As the scripture saith, out of his belly shall uh, flow rivers of living water. And then verse 37, the key words there, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. Let him come unto me. Water of, of Holy Spirit will be in you, will be in you and will continue to bubble forth if you can get to partake of Jesus. So you have to realize again that if you are thirsty, what, he, God is, what Jesus is saying here, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and let him drink. Now, all of us, all of us that are born again Christians should be thirsty for the things of God. We should be thirsty. We should be wanting to know more and more and more about God. So he says to come unto me and drink. So therefore, this is showing us here, and it's talking about the Holy Spirit, that in order for us to be fulfilled, our, our uh, thirst to be quenched, we need to be able to partake of Holy Spirit. You see, but the devil knows that also. So when we get spiritually thirsty, then the devil wants to stop you from being able to go to Jesus to drink of that water. We see also in Isaiah 44, we see in Isaiah 44, praise the living God. We see in Isaiah 44, again, we're looking at here, if we get thirsty from, uh, for physical water, for physically we get thirsty for water, that we also need spiritual water. And we see that that spiritual water, as, as referred to, is talking about the Holy Spirit. So that the Bible here is saying here that we, if any man thirsts, if any man gets thirsty, we need to drink of the Holy Spirit. Again, the devil knows that. So what would he want to do? He want to cut off your, your supply of water. And he does that through some of the things I mentioned before. People will pop into your life and pull you off into something else, interrupt your prayer, the phone will ring or whatever. Something will go on to stop you from making that connection because the devil knows that if I can keep that person without water, the person is going to get weaker and weaker. So Isaiah 44, verse number one. Yet now hear, O O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jezurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Underline, please. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon the seed. Underline, I will pour my spirit upon the seed, upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. Okay, so again here you see it's talking about the spirit of God here being poured upon those that are thirsty and the floods upon the dry ground. And we all have those dry grounds in our lives. Those dry grounds are, are the things that happen to us. The times in our life where we're struggling, we're really desiring some, something, something, something that we're worried about. And the Lord knows that when you're really, really in a tizz over something that's going on in your life and you can't see the way out, you do feel like you're on dry ground. You feel like you're, you, you're in need of an oasis or something like that. Lord, get me out of this mess. How can I move forward? You see? So what this is saying is that, is that I will pour out my spirit. You see? So, so when you realize that you're thirsty, 
When you realize that you're thirsty and you start seeking out God, again, the devil comes in there to drop a roadblock, to drop a boulder to prevent you from getting to that water, you see? But we don't realize that when things aren't going right in our lives. We don't realize, well, gee whiz, I'm thirsting for something, I'm thirsting for something, what can I do to get out of this dry place? Well, the answer is to seek for, seek for the Holy Spirit, the quenching waters of the Holy Spirit, you see? But the devil will prevent you from getting there. So again, we see here in Scripture where water is referred to as... Holy Spirit. You go back to John, John 4, John number 4, John uh, 4, 4 verse, uh, verse 14, John 4, verse number 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst. Underline all of that. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Okay, there it is again. Whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Again, so see this reference here to water, to water. So when you're in that dry place in your life and you're feeling thirsty, one of the first things that you need to go, need to do, and you'll know that feeling. You're a child of God and the Holy Spirit is in you and you're a born again child of God and you've been reading the word and you've been praying to God. You'll know when you get thirsty. You'll know because something in your life will just be missing. You'll feel like something is missing. The same way if you describe um, physical thirst, you can describe the symptoms maybe. You know, you get dry in the mouth, maybe, or you get this taste in your mouth. It's hard to really, really describe how it is that you know that you're thirsty. And you know that you may drink a soda, a cup of coffee, and God knows that makes it worse. You get more thirsty than ever. What you need is water. When you get that depleted feeling in your spirit, which is really, it manifests itself in your life, it, you don't always realize that my spirit is depleted. It manifests itself by what's going on in your life. It manifests itself by the things that you're wrestling with and the ability that you have to overcome that, that, with, that you're wrestling, whatever it is that you're wrestling with. So that inability for you to overcome that and you're, you're kind of pulling your hair out and you're wondering what to do and you sit down and you can't stay seated too long. You put on TV and your mind wanders from whatever you're, you're, you're looking at. You try to read a book and your mind wanders away. Your spirit is restless. Your spirit is thirsting for God. This is the time you need to stop what you're doing. You need to run to your prayer closet, where, wherever it is that you can pray, and you start seeking God because you are spiritually thirsty, you see. But we many times don't realize that, but the devil does, you see. And the devil knows that when you're spiritually thirsty like that, the minute you decide to get up off your couch or wherever you are and you decide that you want to go seek God, whether it's seeking God by going to church or just going into your room to pray, something will come up to prevent you from doing that. Somebody will call you and ask you for help. Someone will do something else or something. Something will pop up to prevent you from getting there because the devil knows that once you can get to, to the waters of Holy Spirit, that your spirit can then be, 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 be quenched, that thirst can be quenched and refilled and you will get a whole different outlook on life and you'll get a, a, a strength in your spirit that will help you to see what God is trying to tell you how to overcome whatever that problem is, you see. But until you do that, you're still in this dry place. The devil knows that if he can keep you from drinking of Holy Spirit, he can keep you dehydrated to the point where you can't even function the way that God would want you to function. 
The devil can keep you from connecting with God and, and, and hearing what God has to say to you and wants you to do. The devil knows that. Therefore, you can't function the way God may want you to function. So therefore, your problem never gets solved. You wind up staying in that dry place. When you have that dragged down feeling or just feeling generally fatigued or discouraged, you may need a drink of water. You may need a drink of water. I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about you may need a drink of spiritual water. You need to get to the point. I know it certainly has happened to me. I, I just get this antsy feeling. Sometimes it's because something is about to happen, I've found. But I just get this antsy feeling. I can't actually describe to you what it is, but I just kind of feel out of sorts. Something is just not right. I will get up and I'll go up in the bathroom or whatever and I'll, and I'll pray. And I'll pray. I know my wife was screaming for me. That dinner was done, I think it was, and she was hollering upstairs. Dinner, then I didn't hear her because I was upstairs praying. Because I just felt one of those days that I just felt in my spirit. I just, I just felt, felt, felt icky, for want of a better description. And when you're feeling like that, you need to go to the Lord. Okay, Lord, what's coming on? Sometimes when you do that, God will tell you of something that is, in, that is impending. Something that is about to come up, that he wants to talk to you about, to prepare the way for you so you don't get caught unawares. He may be wanting to give you some instructions. This is what I want you to do. In the meantime, the devil has an inkling. The devil doesn't know God's every thought, but the devil has an inkling that if I can keep, keep him or her away from God, then I can keep him or her off balance and I can keep them feeling so miserable that they don't even want to pray. They don't even want to pick up, pick up the Bible. The more the devil can keep you from praying or picking up the Bible, the more he can keep you in that state that you're in. And therefore, your problem never gets solved. You never realize what it is that God wants for you. You never get to understand how your problem can be eliminated. Whatever you're praying for can be reached and can be attained. <clears throat> God is also our source of food. Go to John 6. John chapter 6. He's also our source of food. Now, obviously, right away you start thinking about hamburgers or hot dogs or whatever, something like that, or steak or something like that. We're talking about food that is much more meaningful. Go to John 6. We're going to go to verse 22. We're going to analyze what's really going on here and how this applies to our lives today. The wonderful thing about the Word of God is that it, does, it, it isn't, doesn't go extinct or doesn't go out of date it goes and deals with our lives very much today in the 21st century. John uh, 6, verse 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the floor, or stood on the other side of the sea, saw that there was, none, there was none other boat there, save the one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples unto the boat, but as his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, uh, nigh unto or near unto the place where they did eat bread. After that, the Lord had given thanks. When the people, oh, by the way, this is following after Jesus um, fed the 5,000. Okay, this is following right after Jesus fed the 5,000, the fishes and the loaves. When the people therefore, verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? When did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. So Jesus is saying, now picture what happened. Now Jesus fed all these people. All of a sudden Jesus leaves and they're running around like crazy looking for him. When they find him and whatnot, Jesus said, 
you're not searching for me because of the miracle that you saw. Don't forget, he multiplied the fishes and the loaves. He said, he said that you didn't come seek me because of the miracles. You came seeking me because you're looking for food. <laughs> All right? That's what he's saying. He said, you came seeking me looking for food. What did he say? He, he said, verily I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Okay? So here they are hung up on this food thing. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So he's saying, don't be laboring after the meat. And the food that you were eating, because that perishes and dies away. What you need to desire is to meet the food which the Son of Man can give you. All right. So right here now, Jesus is making a, 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 a mind-blowing distinction here between you're following behind me, following behind me, because you got a free lunch, you got a free meal. But what about the deeper things, the deeper things of life? You see, this is what we as Christians often do. We look so quickly on the surface of what's happening in our lives. We don't look at the deeper things, the deeper spiritual thing that is really, really happening, happening, happening around us. Okay, and we wind up focusing on that physical thing, and that's where the devil wants to keep you. As long as you can focus on what is the important thing, a job, my house, uh, a job, a promotion. You're focusing on money. You know, you're focusing on those things. You stop focusing on the spiritual realities of your life, which are far more important. So Jesus said, you follow me here, not because you're looking at the miracles. You weren't sitting there, oh man, he must be the son of God. Look what he did. He multiplied these, these loaves and these fishes. Look, look what he did. No, you're not focusing on that. You're focusing on the, fact, on the fact that you fed your face. You got a free meal. You don't need to focus on that, Jesus is saying. There's something much deeper. He then goes on to say, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Do you believe on Jesus that God sent? All right. 30. They said therefore unto him, what, what sign showest thou then uh, that we may see and believe thee? What does thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Here they go again. What are they focusing on? God gave us manna from heaven. All right, they're focusing on the food again, okay? All right, what's that expression? The way to a man's heart is through his stomach, okay? All of these people, men, women, and children, they're still thinking about the food. God gave us food from heaven. Forget about the miracles. God gave gave us food from heaven. Verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Underline that. I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. All right. Here again, very profound statements here. I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger and he that believes on me shall never thirst. So we see he has two words that he that comes to me and believes shall never thirst. Bread is considered a staple food. Okay, it's considered a staple. That is, it's it's a basic dietary item. A person can survive a long time on bread and water. Bread is such a basic food that it becomes to stand for food in general. Many times in Scripture, bread is referred to as considered like the food, food in general. Matter of fact, we have that expression about or that phrase, breaking bread together. 
breaking bread together, you mean you're breaking bread. You're not just breaking a loaf of bread. You're sitting there and you're eating a full meal. Amen. So it's kind of become synonymous with, with, with food in general to indicate the sharing of a meal with someone. All of this plays into the scene that's being described here in John chapter six. When Jesus used the term bread of life, he was trying to get away from the crowds to to no avail after he had fed the five thousand. He had crossed the Sea of Galilee and the crowd followed after him, as I said before. When the crowd sees that Jesus is left, they follow him again. Jesus takes this moment to really teach them a lesson. He accuses the crowd of ignoring his miraculous signs and only following him for the free meal. Jesus tells us in John 27, if you go to uh, 627, and if you just go to reread it again, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him that God has God the Father sealed. Has God the Father sealed. So he said, do not labor for the food that perishes. That is not what is important in this life, you see. But we oftentimes labor after the food that perishes. The food that perishes, again, is the things that we think are important. The job, a promotion, a house, a car, uh, or whatever material things that we need, you know. And God, God knows what you need. God is our provider, you see. But that's what we label, we, we labor after instead of looking at the food or the bread, which is Jesus Christ, okay. And, and that is the thing that the devil would rather keep us focused on, the things that are not of, of, of the spiritual realm, but keep you focused on the material things in this world. Therefore, you can never come to understand that I need to get my, I need to get my spirit shifted to seek after the spiritual things, because then the spiritual things will bring to answer those things that I'm looking for. In other words, they were so focused on the food, they were missing out on the fact that their Messiah had come. So the Jews asked Jesus for a sign. They tell Jesus that God gave them manna, and we read through that, and and Jesus said the true bread, the true bread from heaven is him that gives life. They asked Jesus for bread, and I'm sorry, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. They're still focusing on the physical food, which is what the devil keeps you doing in order to keep you from focusing on Jesus in your life. All right. I'm repeating that a number of times over and over again because I really want you to get that. We as Christians, we focus so much on the material things that we don't focus on the deep spiritual aspects that are out there. And when we don't do that, you see, we don't focus on it, but the devil focuses on it because he puts those boulders, he drops those boulders in your life that prevents you from focusing on the deep spiritual things of life. You see, and we don't realize that because he's doing it in such sneaky ways. You know, you know, when you're planning on on, on spending some some time with the Lord or you're spending on going plan on going to church or something, you're planning, and, and that, that person, you know, a, a good friend of yours, you, you know, my good old Aunt Tilly that I always talk about, all of a sudden she miraculously calls up, guess what, I'm coming by, I'm going to come by to, to visit, I'm going to come by to this, or calls up, gee whiz, you know, I, 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 I slipped out of my recliner, can you come by to pull me back into the recliner? Something that will prevent you from spending time with God, you see, and that happens so much we need to be on our P's and Q's to be aware that when you're feeling in a situation there that is really untenable, that you're really having a hard time dealing with, and you're having a hard time getting to God, it's not for no small reason, it's because the devil does not want you to connect with God. God is, 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 is your food, he's, he's your water, he's your drink, and Jesus is the bread of life. You know, he makes that phenomenal statement equating himself with bread. Jesus is saying that he is essential for life. You know, the interesting thing also is that uh, um, Jesus is the bread of life, as he himself said. And where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Jesus, the bread of life, was born in Bethlehem. And you know what the word Bethlehem translates as? 
house of bread. House of bread. Bethlehem translate, translates in, 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 in Arabic, it's, in Arabic it's, it's our um, house of meat. In, in, in Aramaic, it's house of bread. Okay, so Jesus born in the house of bread, and he said that I am the house, I, I, am, I am the bread of life. Jesus is contrasting what he brings as their Messiah with the bread that was miraculously created. Again, in, in 35, notice that it says, come and believe. This is an invitation for you to place your faith in Jesus as the Messiah and Son of God. All right. So Jesus says to come. Can you come? The next time that you have something going on in your life that you're really struggling with, can you remember that I need to come to Jesus? That I need to go to Jesus? Or do you content yourself in just, you know, having a headache and sitting down, losing sleep, worrying over how you're going to solve the problem? Or do you, do you wind up jumping on the phone to see who you can call? Who do I know in City Hall? Who do I know someplace, you know, who, who can I come? Or sending an email to someone instead of sitting down and saying that I need to go and, and, and partake of the water of God. I need to go and quench my thirst. I need to go and be filled. Because I guarantee the minute you make up your mind that this is what I'm going to do, there will be something that will come in your way. There will be something that will prevent it, that will present itself, that will try to prevent you from getting to God to spend precious time with him. Okay? You know? I talked so much over the last several months, and Brother Brandon talked about in his sermons and whatnot about spending time with God, about prayer with God, and how to be praying with God, you know? The other boulder that the devil drops in your life to keep you disconnected from God is you may start praying, then all of a sudden something comes up to remind you, okay, I've prayed. I've been here for five minutes. No, it wasn't. It was ten minutes. Wow, ten minutes. Time for me to pick up and move on. Maybe God hasn't finished with you yet. Maybe God hasn't finished answering your prayer. You know, prayer is not a monologue where we do all of the talking. When you're going to spend time with God to quench your thirst in order for God to give you that water, you've got the desire to get there. And then after you're getting there and you're praying to God, you've got to spend some time listening to him. This is where the, where the two-way communication happens. And it's when that two-way communication happens, when God speaks to you, this is when he will give you direction over what you need to do. And I'm telling you as surely as I stand here, you will hear in your spirit, this is what I need to do. I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do A, B, C, or whatever. You know, you know, take your phone with you, take a piece of paper with you, jot down whatever it is that you hear during that prayer time. And I guarantee you, if you're really, really listening to God and you're praying in line with his will and so forth, I guarantee you he will give you a solution to that problem. He'll tell you, you know. And the interesting thing is when you're getting that water from God and you're eating of that bread from God, it may not seem like, quote, unquote, the logical thing to do. It may not seem like the logical thing. You may walk out of that cl- your prayer closet and say, well, gee, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? What does that have to do with my problem? You just do whatever it is that God is telling you to do. God says to leave your room and go and, and uh, take out a clean handkerchief and fold it seven times or something like that. I'm really being extreme here. But God gives you something that seems totally unrelated to what your particular problem is. Okay? The trick is for you to realize that if you know that you know that you know that you know that this is what you heard God distinctly say to you when you were in your room praying to go get that handkerchief, and you just go do that. Go get that handkerchief and fold it seven times, and then let God take it from there. Many times God wants to, wants to see if you're going to be obedient to his simplest words. God will not always give you the answer to a complex problem. He will not always give you a complex answer. He may simply be looking to see how willing you are to do what God is telling you to do. And then once he sees your demonstration of your willingness to simply obey him, 
even though it doesn't make sense. And that's what not making sense is all about. When you trust God for an answer and, and it's not making sense, that's what it's all about. You know, the, one of the classic examples of that is the Battle of Jericho. Here they need to conquer that city. They're going to conquer that city. And he had those massive walls around it. And God tells them to get the musicians and the priests and so forth and march around the, 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 the uh, city seven times. Most people would say, well, what does that, what sense does that make? Look at those thick walls. What kind of sense does that make, you see? But because of their obedience, because of their obedience to do what God said to do, even though it didn't make sense, that's what brought down the walls of Jericho. Because of Abraham's obedience, okay, because of Noah's obedience. Okay? And it goes on and on and on all throughout Scripture. Because of their obedience to do what did not make sense, you see? You see? But you cannot get there unless you're willing to go and to, to, to seek God to quench your thirst. To find the food, to find the bread of life, to touch base with the bread of life so that he can feed your spirit. Okay? Those words, hunger and thirst, there, it, it means that, you, you know, Jesus is not obviously talking about physical food and, uh, and thirst. The key is found in another statement Jesus made back in his Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5, 6. You don't have to go there right now. But Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay? So here, if the end game is that if you're seeking God, if you're hungry and you're thirsty and you, you find God, that you shall be satisfied, the devil knows that. So then what is it that he doesn't want you to do? He doesn't want you to find God. Simple as that, you know, you know, you know. If, if you've got a kid that just keeps on doing something over and over again, over and over again, you prevent that kid from getting there. If you've been telling this kid over and over to stop doing it, he's still not listening, you remove the obstacle or you stop him from getting there. You, you, you remove it, okay? Well, that's what the devil wants to do. If the devil knows that if you start seeking after God, you're going to find answers. The devil knows that if you start seeking after God, if you really start thirsting after him. And again, what is thirsting? What, what is hungry? You know, hungry is not hungry is not when you're just simply looking for a snack. Like when I'm watching TV and I decide to go and get a potato chips, which I shouldn't be eating because I want a snack. I'm not really hungry. I'm eating to stay awake. <laughs> you know, I'm just eating to be eating. I'm not really hungry. <laughs> All right. OK, so you're hungry. OK, hungering, hungering after God is when you're really, really, really desiring God. OK. Okay, thirsting after God is, you, you know, you'll take a sip of water because, well, I haven't had any water, you know, in 10 minutes. I'll take a sip. When you're thirsty is when you've gone a while without water, water and you're really thirsty. There's a difference in thirsting for something and being hungry for something. Well, that's what we need to be with God. If we're at a point in our lives that all we do is give God an, a casual, give God an, 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 an occasional, you know, visit here and there. And, and even then, it's like that obligatory visit. Oh, well, okay, now I told God every day, you know, at 5 o'clock I'll spend some time with him. And you've got locked in your mind, I'll give him 10 minutes. And then every day at 5 o'clock, like clockwork, you go and you give him your 10 minutes and you get, okay, done. You know, that's your obligatory prayer time. It doesn't work like that because you're not thirsting after you're not hungry after God, okay? And then a small wonder, small wonder, all of a sudden something happens in your life and you have a hard time dealing with it. And you say, oh, boy, I guess I got, I, did I miss my 10-minute prayer time? What's today? Tuesday? Oh, gee, I missed it. Then you go and you do your routine. No, it doesn't work that way, okay? Because God hasn't had time to feed you. God hasn't had time to, to, to give you that water of Holy Spirit, you see? So the devil knows how he can drop those, how he can, how he can drop those boulders into your life. And he drops them to keep you out of touch with God. To help overcome this in praying to connect with God. Remember to pray, and I'm going to give you some, some answers here and some, some things that you can try working with, and I guarantee it will show you some results. 
It's helped to overcome this in praying to connect with God. Remember to pray the names of God or are as referred to as there are several what's called compound names of God. Several compound names. I'm not going to get real theological here, but just just know that you've maybe heard you've heard me pray them sometimes during praise and worship time here. But some of the compound na- names of God are names like Jehovah Jireh. You know, there's a song that we sing called Jehovah Jireh, which means God, my provider. Another compound name of God is Jehovah Sidkenu, my righteousness, Jehovah Rapha, my healer, Jehovah Nisi, my victory, Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd, Jehovah Shalom, and um, God, my, my peace. And there's several others. But if you can pray, if you remember to pray when you're praying, three, I'm going to give you three of the compound names of God to pray, that what this will do is it will remind you of who God is relative into your life to help you in having that deep searching, uh, that thirst for him. The first one is Jehovah Jireh. Okay, and the name Jehovah Jireh was revealed in Scripture. You go to Genesis 22. Okay, Jehovah Jireh means God my provider. Genesis 22. So what I'm saying to you is that if you can get into the habit of when you're praying, because what you need to do is to get your spirit to believing that I'm praying to and I'm praying, I'm praying to and I am worshiping. A God that has specific attributes, that has specific things that God can do for me. And you need to be kind of reminding you, your spirit of that. God knows that. God knows that he doesn't need to be reminded of who he is. But God knows that he is your provider. But many times when we're praying and when things are happening in our lives, we forget that God is our provider. We forget that. We forget his name. It is one of his names, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. So we see in Genesis 22, verse number 12. Uh, verse number two, this is where Abraham was going up to sacrifice Isaac. And he says here, and he said, lay not thine hand. Let me go to 11, 11, starting with 11. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted, lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for the burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. This is the where that name was revealed first time in the Bible. Jehovah called that, and Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said this day in the mount of the Lord, uh, it shall be seen. So underline verse number 14 there, Jehovah Jireh, meaning that he is his provider. And don't forget here, here, what did God do? God said, take your only son and sacrifice him. Again, most people would say, why would you have me do that? After all of these years that you told me I was going to have this boy, you know, what was he, 99? Okay, all of these years he finally had this boy, and then God tells him to sacrifice him. Most people would have said, I, I don't think that's God talking to me. It's gas or something. You know, I'm him hearing things. But because of the fact that he went and did it, God said, because of the fact that I know now, that I know, I will provide, uh, 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 I will provide a sacrifice for you. He was going to sacrifice Isaac up. God provided a sacrifice, okay? So this is where it sees, we see that Jehovah Jireh, the name is literally the Lord who sees or the Lord who will see to it. This is what we long for when we have a need that is personal and special. 
one who will see our needs and provide for us. This is what Jehovah Jireh means, the Lord who will see to it that my every need is met. One, one who knows my need because he sees. One who is able to meet my need in just the right time as he did for Abraham and one who can meet it fully. For Abraham, it was the ram caught in the thicket that was offered in Isaac's place. For us, it can be whatever you need. So when you're praying to God, you're praying to God. If you can remember Jehovah Jireh, J-I-R-E-H, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and you're praying that to God, Lord, I know that you are Jehovah Jireh, you are my provider. Whatever that thing is that you're praying for, remember that God will indeed provide it. The name Jehovah Jireh, that is crucial for us, it is crucial for us today as we seek to know the Father. It is the name that assures us that our Heavenly Father is there to provide anything that we need. The other, there's only two more I'm going to give you here. Jehovah Nisi is the other one, and that is the, the Lord my banner. And if you go to Exodus, go to the book of Exodus here. If you have something to write this down, if you want to write the names down, Jehovah Nisi. You know how to spell Jehovah, uh, Nisi, N-I-S-S-I. Okay, we're going to go to Exodus 17. Exodus 17. Praise the living God. Verse number 12. But Moses, uh, but Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and her stayed up his hands, the one, uh, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. This is when they were in battle. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put it on the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses, Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So in other words, the Lord, the, the, the Lord was his victory. The Lord, the Lord provided for him in terms of giving him winning. As long as he was able to uphold his hands and whatnot, Israel provided, uh, prevailed, if you remember that, that, uh, those scriptures there. Okay, so again, the term here that was revealed uh, was Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, uh, because the Lord, is my, the Lord is my banner or my victory. Okay, and you see here that uh, um, he will wage warfare on your behalf. So if you, how does that apply to us today in everyday life? Again, this is a part of your prayer routine, if you can remember to do this, that the thing that you're wrestling with, that you're struggling against, this is what the devil is coming against you with. You are in, you are in a sense in a battle. For whatever that issue is in your life that you're really having a hard time with, God will help you to be victorious over that. So when you're in your prayer time and you're praying, Jehovah Jireh, Lord, I know that you will provide because, Lord, you are my Jehovah Nisi. You are my banner. You are my victor. I will be victorious over the situation. You see, so many times we as Christians, even though we call ourselves born again children of God, we wind up being the tail and not the head. Okay, we wind up being the vanquished instead of being the victor. God would prefer for you to be the victor. He wants you to be victorious over things in your life. He wants you to be the head of things in your life, not the tail. So again, in your prayers, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, meaning, meaning that you can be victorious uh, over what's going on. And then the last one here is Jehovah Shalom. Judges, go to the book of Judges. Praises be unto you. 
book of Judges 6. Judges chapter 6, verse number 15. And this is where, where God was, um, was uh, uh, telling him that he was going to, to be victorious, telling Gideon that he was going to lead Israel and so on. And he says in 15, And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midians as one man. All right. So this pause in there, God told Gideon that you're going to overcome and whatnot. And right, right away, he shows doubt. He says, how can I do this? I am but this. I am but that. I am but this. The devil will put in your mind, how will I succeed? How will I be able to do that job? How will I be able to get that house? How will I be able to get that car? How, 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 how? And you'll start thinking, the devil will put in your mind all of the things in which you are weak, quote unquote. Okay? He'll put in your mind that you won't be able to succeed in doing this. All right? But if you're really, really thirsty for God, if you're really hungering for God in your spiritual life and whatnot, and you start praying to him in, 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 in this line, in this line, that you will see that he is there. He, is, he indeed here is there to help you. But you cannot entertain doubt. Then from there, okay, I want to jump down to verse 23. I just wanted you to see those two scriptures to kind of set the, set the stage so you know what's going on. And then in verse 23, he says, And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not. For thou shalt not die. Underline, please. Peace be unto thee, fear not. Thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Oprah of the Abezerites. Okay? Oprah of the Abezerites. And you underline there, Jehovah Shalom. All right? And you see there, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not. Thou shalt not die. So Jehovah Shalom means the God of peace. He is the God of peace. Jehovah Shalom is literally the Lord is peace. This name is a name that speaks in practical ways of the fact, the effect of knowing that Jehovah God in your life, in your lives in a very personal way. So in other words, if you can pray Jehovah, if you can pray Jehovah Jireh, knowing that God is, is your provider, when you've got a situation going in your life, you're starting there. God, I know that you're Jehovah Jireh. You're my provider. You will provide with whatever it is that I need and go on stating the problem. And that you will fight the banner for me. You will fight, you will fight and give me the victory because you are Jehovah Nisi. And then if you're doing that, then guess what? The God of peace will give you peace in the situation. Jehovah Shalom. That's when the peace of God will come upon you and you'll have a peace that passes all understanding. You won't know why you're at peace, but all of a sudden you start feeling very relaxed because you know that God has handled it. You see, you see. But these are the things that the devil would like to drop roadblocks in the way because he knows that if you become aware of these things, that he can keep you keep you off balance. He can keep you in a, in a, in a place of misery. One of the many problems encountered in living in our world today is the problem of anxiety. Most major disorders of our minds are those related in some way to, to uh, anxiety. I can even say that many, many disorders of the physical body can be related to, the, to this, uh, to anxiety. I mean, and science will tell you that. Okay. What practical steps can you take to make Jehovah Shalom a, a reality in your life? Stop and think about that. What practical steps can you take to make Jehovah Shalom a reality in your life? If you're off balance and worried about something, you've got things that just seems like you're up to here. Okay. Where is Jehovah Shalom in your life? He's a God of peace. 
If you know that he is, he is, he is a, a God of, of, of victory, he's going to bring you victory, then you remember that Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi, my banner, my victory. Okay? All right? And then, of course, before that, God knows what you need. So, therefore, Jehovah Jireh, he's your provider. So, if you're remembering those three basic areas, those two basic areas, then you'll wind up in that third area, which is Jehovah Shalom, knowing that you'll have the peace upon you. All right? If you can incorporate those three names of God in your prayers, you'll go a long way in preventing Satan from dropping boulders into your life. All right? But he would love to keep, he would love to keep you wherever you are today. He would love to keep you there because he knows that the minute you can get to connecting with God, the minute you can get there with him, that, uh, uh, that you will be totally set free. He doesn't want you set free, you see. But these are, are the subtle, the sneaky ways, the insidious ways that the devil works in our lives while he's quietly there. And that's when he's most effective, when he's quietly there and you are not taking the time to believe, as Jesus said, to believe what this word says, to believe that what we're talking about today is even possible and even exists. The more he can keep you doubting or wondering if that is even real, then he will continue keeping you where he's got you, where he's got you right now. All right. So if you want to move on, you've got to just rise up and take God at his word. And follow what it is that he's saying. Praise God. Praise God. I pray this message was a blessing to you. Now, before we close, let us honor God with our tithes and offerings.